Hey, hey, hey! This is Guna Podcast 137, recorded two days after the moribund 0 0 draw against Chelsea. Hopefully, some of you have now woken up and you aren't listening to this in some dreamlike zombie state. I'm your host, Mark Ollington, back after a break where I've been living it large with dancing girls and crack cocaine or something similar. I'm very pleased to say that once again, this pod is hosted by our friends at Pyberry Corner. It really is the best pie deli in the whole world, with every dish named after an Arsenal player. Amazing! Before we start, we have to say sorry. Um, last podcast, there were some customers sitting in us very, very closely and talking a bit too loudly, to the detriment of the oral quality. We would have told them to shut up and eat their pies elsewhere, but unfortunately it was a very popular night and they had nowhere else to sit. It was heaving here. And until the day comes when the Guna sells enough copies to buy out Pyberry Corner and start banning customers on podcast nights, we will endeavour to come up with a top-level solution. Watch this space, and if you happen to be eating in, in here when we are doing our great pod, keep your mundane chatter at a low level. Are you sign language? Anyway, to make up for it, and to say sorry, we have an all-star panel made up of entirely bald men. <laughs> and considering your host is hardly John Bon Jovi, um, it makes the Mitchell Brothers convention in this pie shop. It really is a meeting of slapheads. Fantastic. Um, but who's the first panel member? Well, our first panel member with the shiny paint is a welcome returnee. He is probably poised to vote UKIP next Thursday, but we love him anyway. He has just celebrated a very significant birthday and he's probably still getting over the celebrations. It's with great pleasure I say hello again to Steve Ashford, a.k.a. The Highbury Spy. Hello everyone, great to be back and great to be sitting opposite fellow Baldies. <laughs> <laughs> Up next is a panel member. I was really struggling to say a new introduction for. There is only so many times you can mention someone's Depeche Mode tattoos. <laughs> I therefore went to his website. That's right, the man has his own site. So uh, um, get this little nugget from his About Me section. David quote on his site, or this person I should say, <laughs> revealed who it is. He says, for my TV and radio appearances, I've shown that I can react instantly to the hot questions. I think on my feet. I would like to think I come across as a person that I am. Intelligent, rational and well-spoken. <laughs> I base my opinion on the facts in front of me. And hopefully my work is reflective of that. Hmm. This is the man that said Nicholas Benton will be the world player of the year that we, ne- we never mentioned. Can you guess who it is? Well, I told you earlier. It is David Udo. Hey, Hello, David. Evening, everyone. Pleasure to be back as always. And some website. What's the URL for that, David? It's uh, www.davidudo.com. Exactly. <laughs> Check it out. It's fascinating. Thank you. Our final hairless wonder is a man so deadpan, his kitchenware is buried six feet under. I took ages to come up with that. Think, 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 think about it at home. Here's a man who says it as it is. He shoots from the hip both metaphorically and we're making passionate love, so I hear. It's the man they call the Gooner Ed. Hello, Kevin Witcher. Uh, popular myth has it that uh, bald men are very virile. So, <laughs> so that's the intro and that's all we've got time for. Good night. I'm Justin. Um, once again, the tweets have been rolling in like a naked fat man falling down a hill covered in lard. So thank you for those. You have helped set the agenda. So we once again thank you for that hugely. But before we get to your tweets, um, let's start with the most recent game. I mentioned it at the outset, the Chelsea match. 
Jose versus Arsene. Will our manager ever beat the gobby Chelsea shit? Steve, let's start with you. Yes, he will. And I was, well, I thought we would do it on Sunday, to be honest, and we nearly did it at the end. Half chances, it has to be said. Watch it again on Match of the Day. I don't think we created a clear-cut chance all, all afternoon. But uh, we will be sooner or later. I think we're getting closer. It was great to see us take those tactical fouls at the end. You know, the, the one time that we, we thought, right, let's have a go at this last 20 minutes. You know, we'll, we'll actually try and score. We'll try and break them down. This evil, horrible Chelsea side. Um, tip off the cock. <coughs> which was a defensive kind of kingpin. Brought a couple of forwards. But it was noticeable that, that once we did that, they nearly scored three times on very dangerous breaks. Ramsey, Monreal and Cazorla took bookings to stop those breaks. So very, very difficult. But um, I think we're getting there. We're getting more tactically aware. It was noticeable on Sunday that they weren't that much better than us, if at all. On another day, we would have done it. Um, I thought we were a bit fortunate with the penalty decisions in the first half. I thought two of them could have gone Chelsea's way, to be honest. We had a bit of luck there. But <clears throat> next year, Stamford Bridge, watch out, Jose. Arsenal's gunning to get you. Kev, I think I read in your editorial that you had down 0 0, 1 all for the end game. We all knew what was going to happen. I totally agree with what you said. Have we learned anything from playing Chelsea? Was it same old, same old? Posey come, he did his job, did his homework, came for a draw. Was there ever going to be an Arsenal win in that, in that match? Well, I mean, in a sense, they could have won 1-0 with the ball falling in the right way at the end. Um, but in terms of, you know, actually creating your own luck, um, Arsenal didn't do it often enough. And... Um, the bottom line is there are occasions on which Chelsea decide that they are not going to lose rather than worry too much about winning. And if they happen to win, it's a pleasant uh, uh, you know, side effect almost. But uh, I, I, um, as far as I'm concerned, Arsenal's got four more guaranteed shots at Jose Mourinho. I'm not sure that he will renew his contract. So, um, do I think Arsenal will win one of those four games? I think that we'll win one. But I think he will do it once before he retires. You know we haven't scored against Chelsea in six matches? No goals in six matches against Chelsea. Yes, but a lot of those games have been where Chelsea have decided they want a draw. So they've, they've, yeah. they've prioritised the clean sheet to start with. Um, and, and once Chelsea decide that they're going to play... Effectively, then a lot of times they are very successful at doing it. And it is tactical football, it's very dull, but it's very effective and it wins things. I did read the other day that um, in his entire tenure at Chelsea in 2004 to 2007, and in the last two years, in games against the other top four sides, City, Arsenal, Liverpool, United, home and away in all that time, he's only lost three games. And none of them at Stamford Bridge. What a record, eh? Mm. It is, Steve, but do you kind of look back upon those games, those title-winning teams under Wenger where we played scintillating football, and it was amazing what, what we saw. Would you be happy to win the league like Chelsea? People said George Graham was artisan, played defensively, and, he, and to a certain extent he knew how to get a nil-nil draw as well. But I think Mourinho is even more artisan and defensive than George Graham ever was. 
that 92-93 season when we had George Graham with the top scorers in the league by a mile that year um, so that could have caused us to send the, um, defensive that year um, and in, in the late 80s under George Graham we played brilliant expansive football I think Graham probably was a better manager than Rooney and George Graham didn't have the huge re- resources that no, no, no. David we'll get to you it's been 8 minutes and you barely said a word um, what do you make of Sunday's game did you ever for one minute think that Wenger would finally have his time? No, not really. Um, Chelsea was just incredibly rigid. I've not seen a defensive performance like that at our place since we played by Munchen at home in the Champions League a couple of years ago. And our goal in that game was a goal mouth scramble that went our way. Uh, we had the same chance with Mertesacker towards the end. The unfortunate thing with having a centre-half having to rifle past a crowd of 12 people from about the edge of the box means ain't going to happen. But um, th- th- they were rigid. I mean, they're uh, a back five, which we- we'd take in a heartbeat over hours. And then in front of that, you've got Matic playing next to Fabregas. Um, in the words of um, Ian McKellen in Lord of the Rings, they shall not pass. Um, there was no way through. We could have played for about, uh, well, for the 540 minutes in which um, they've only lost three games. We wouldn't have scored a goal. They were too rigid. Harold Shand... David tweeted if John Terry was allowed to leave Chelsea would you sign him and would you have Hosey as Arsenal manager Hosey equals trophies uh, I'd, I'd take Jose's next Arsenal manager and, would you uh, really though yeah but it's not going to happen it's the same as asking uh, John Terry to be the Arsenal manager when he stops playing for Chelsea he'll retire I can guarantee that and unless Major League Soccer throw millions and millions of pounds um, uh, because he's so rich he can he can make a stroppy act of principle and uh, decide not to not to sign for someone like Arsenal just to stick the finger up this is a man who when his team didn't win the league just sort of moves a step closer to it at our ground and he ran up in front of the North Bank and uh, clenched his feet uh, fist and celebrate. so uh, Terry the footballer at Arsenal I'd love him to bits but he wouldn't come because Terry the person in which that footballer lives is Satan he has no reflection he casts no shadow I wouldn't want him at Arsenal would you take no, no Jose especially at his age I've, I've written before I would take Jose but has that changed with his pragmatism that you've seen over the last second half of this season well no because what he does is he adapts his team to the situation now Chelsea played some brilliant football in the earlier part of this season they're actually they've run out of steam now you know he's used the same players more or less every game and they uh, he's flogged them to death so now it's hanging off time and he's actually created that gap through playing some very good football initially uh, because the gap the points gap between Arsenal and Chelsea now is pretty much what it was in October you know they basically have just established a gap and maintained it the only real threat to them really was Manchester City they got close but apart from that um, they they are on course to win the title in a quite deliberate and uh, methodical fashion which I think at the beginning of the season Mourinho knew especially after the World Cup that his players at the end would have to limp over the line and fair play to him he's, he's played these games in the right way to get the points um, so you're not necessarily just buying Parker Bus football if you get Mourinho in you're getting um, a manager who can adapt things and uh, win games and get points as required the other thing to remember about Jose and I, I, I really wish people would get the grip of this is that he is a wind up merchant if you just look at him as a figure of fun he's actually hugely entertaining I can't hate him because he's just a comedian he's very good at what he does but so many people actually take the bait I can't believe how foolish they are 
In fairness, we should take um, some of these games that are complimentary the Skies from Chelsea. I mean, we were a team who'd won, what, 12 games in a row in all competitions, uh, notwithstanding the, the Monaco home, home leg. Um, and if, if Mourinho came and said, OK, let's have an arm wrestle or a, a fight from one of the Rocky films, see who the last man's standing, they probably probably still would have beaten us because they are a better team that's why they're top of the league but for Mourinho to say we're going to their ground they're in form they're a really really good attacking side um, you know what let's play eight at the back as long as we get a nil nil I'll be happy we start as a compliment it's an implicit um, uh, acknowledgement and acceptance from Mourinho that we're a really good side at the moment do you know what do you think we are the, the, last time we, the last time we failed to score at home was last season against Chelsea exactly <laughs> so it's been a whole season and a half since we last not scored and they turn up again part of us and we can't break them down again well Adam Haylock Steve he's tweeted in have we seen a solid improvement this year or another frustrating season with cracks being hidden David there mentioned the long unbeaten run we've been on um, and let's face it since Christmas it's been pretty good right it's been bloody brilliant and this is my opportunity to eat humble pie has to be said the last time I did one of these podcasts, I think it was November, when you know I wanted Arsenal out. We, we had all the injuries. We hadn't signed the players in, in the summer that he should have signed. I think we won one of our last six games at that time. <coughs> Quite frankly, I, mean, I couldn't wait to see the back of Arsenal. But since January, when we've gone on these runs, we've got the new fitness coach replacing the old one. Um, Chef Forsyth has taken a, a much more proactive ro- role over there on, on that, and I think that's coming to fruition with the, the fitness of the players now. We've only got two injured players. I think <clears throat> some of the tactics have changed with Wenger. I think he's now realising that he needs to adapt to, to a certain extent. I think he's adopted modern methods now and it's shown in the results we've had since January. So, yeah, my opportunity to eat humble pie. Sorry, Arsene, you know, you've changed. I didn't think you would. And I'm quite happy with the way things are going at the moment. Do you think Wenger's changed, Kevin, or is it circumstance? I mean, would you, why do you think the second half of the season has been so marked different than the first three months that we saw? Um, I think basically in the first half of the season, the team wasn't settled at all. Um, people were in and out with injuries, um, especially the defence. I mean, the defence, defensive lineup was changing a lot. Um, I think now there's a consistency in team selection, which has helped tremendously and, and built the confidence. So there's more understanding now. Someone like uh, Ozil, um, who, who was out injured for a while, has come in and gradually developed an understanding with uh, Alexis. And until that develops, um, you're not going to get the best out of that particular combination. Um, what's been most revelatory is obviously the central midfield, where Coquelin has obviously come in and people have realised that he can do a job there. And that Cazorla complements him very well. So uh, I think what it is, more than anything, is we've got a settled side who seem to work, and uh, that's led to a very good run of results. Is that by luck or judgment from Wenger, David? Oh, a little bit of luck. I mean, um, the big story that came out of the... um the win at the Etihad Stadium was that Wenger's approach, like it always is, is just play your way and we'll win because I know that you're the best. 
It was the players who were alleged to have turned around and said, well, hang on, no, we're playing at their ground, this is a good side, we need to sit back on it, let them have the possession, and we'll nick some goals on the break, and lo and behold, we did. So I think it's the first time that Wenger's actually listened to his players, I think. So we've seen that adaptation from him, yeah. With regards to whether it's being full on progress for the team, I th I, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think statistically, we're on the same amount of points as we were, or we're about to finish on the same amount of points as last year, reach the same stage of the Champions League, same stage of the League Cup, and the same stage of the FA Cup. So that would suggest it's a stagnant season. However, we, we are we are better than we were last year. Well, the difference between this year and last year was by Christmas we were on course to be a far worse side. Exactly. Oh, we, we, were, we were going nowhere fast at Christmas. Last season was significantly better. But since Christmas, not only have we done better than all of last season, we actually look a much better side than last year. It was only that first three months where everything went wrong including Arsene Wenger's tactics um, and the, the injuries with, that we had that kind of is, is resulted in the fact that we have got the same number of points. I think a, a better first six games we'd have been up there with Chelsea. Joe Cagliardi, Steve, writes on Twitter, if we finish second and win the cup, is that progress? If we finish, well, it would be great to finish second, to be honest. We haven't done it for ten years. Um, the attempt, finishing second is progress, and I'm not looking at the season as a whole, as I've just said. Looking at the season from Christmas onwards, there's been significant progress on and off the pitch. Signing Gabriel was a masterstroke. I love what I've seen of him so far. You know, and I certainly wouldn't swap Gabriel for John Terry. Gabriel being 27, 26, John but Terry being 35. Were they aware of Gabriel last summer? Maybe they couldn't get him for some reason. Well, come on, they'll get him in January, they'll get him in, in July. You know, and I'm just pleased we've got him. We should have got him in the summer. That's a mistake, but you know, it might cost us the title in the long run. Do you think, I mean, Dave pointed out there, Kevin, that we've got the same points as last season. If we win the FA Cup, it's pretty much exactly the same. I mean, obviously, coming second is a huge improvement. I haven't got to qualify for the Champions League. But do you see much progress? I mean, you're a man that uh, the is very critical. I think because the last half of the season has been so good uh, overall, and that there are mitigating circumstances for what went wrong at the start. I mean, yeah, OK, we did balls up the summer transfer market, but we do that every summer anyway. That's a given. Um, what, what was unique about the start of this season was the amount of injuries and swapping around. So I think overall I'm seeing an upward curve. Um, so in, in looking at the team and their potential to actually challenge next year, I'm more encouraged than I was at the end of last season when we just completely collapsed, which didn't give any indication that we were capable of challenging. This season, I think if we can continue the good habits that we've established, continue with the settled team, there's no international tournaments, the only real worry on that scrum is that there is the Copper America. So Alexis will come back knackered. David Espino, I don't think you need to worry so much about because he's a goalkeeper. But, uh, you know, Alexis... He's not going to have a break because there are actually going to be two Copa Americas in consecutive years because I believe it's something like the 100th anniversary next summer. So he's not going to have a break until the summer before the next World Cup. So he's already... <laughs> I mean, he's, he's Superman at the moment, but whether he can keep that up or not may affect our chances next season. I mean, one of the improvements this year is, is Ozil. I mean, I was one of Ozil's you know, worst critics. Uh, especially earlier on in the season when I wanted Fabregas back and I'd have been happy to see the back of Ozil 
but I was even wrong about that. I mean, I think Ozil, since he's been back in the team, yeah. has been absolutely awesome, apart from one or two away games where he's been found wanting a bit. Uh, but Sunday, he was magnificent Sunday. He deserved to be on the winning side, really. Obviously, Ozil coming back in the team has pushed Aaron Ramsey yeah. out, out to the right. Uh, as Andrew Marston mentions on Twitter, that means Piers Morgan has been given incessant abuse due to his um, uh, performances. Do you agree with Piers? Should um, um, Ramsey be out on the um, right? Is he as effective there? I don't think Ramsey should be on the right at all. I mean, Oxlade Chamberlain would be there if he was fit. I, I would personally play Riziki there or Walcott there. Um, certainly in home games because they give us much more going forward. At Wembley against Reading, we didn't really offer much down the flanks with Ramsey there. Ramsey's a great player, I love him to death, but he should be in the middle, alongside Coquelin, uh, or behind the striker. There's no way Ramsey's a, a winner. We tried that two years ago, it didn't work then, and unfortunately it doesn't work now. So would that be the one change you would make in the current style I'd have to do? I'd still have Ramsey in the team, but I wouldn't have him on the right. He's to this team what Ray Bowler was. He's not a yeah. right midfield player, but you put yeah. him there because he will trap back in hell. Yeah. I mean, everyone's talking about Jamie Milner being available on the free transfer in the summer. We should get him. We don't need him. We've got the same version as him. He's six years younger, Welsh, an awful lot better, and incredibly handsome. Yeah. What do we want Milner? Yeah. Well, exactly. There's no point. No, because he's free. The way it works is um, a player on one side like that, a threatening left wing as far as the opposition is concerned, is that he's going to trap back and help our attacking right back. And Donovan's a very good player, but one of his chief qualities is he gets the ball and nicks it across does that and loses the ball someone needs to track back and Cockland's great and moves him most of the time but Ramsey covers as much ground as anyone else if not more it's not being a right winger if it was then Walcott play every game wouldn't he it's about being part of the midfield and let's face it the attacking three in our 4-2-3-1 they seem to interchange whenever it suits them so although he starts on the right him, Ozil and Sanchez they all interlink and move wherever they want to it's like a free sim they do exactly I, just, I thought some of our tippy-tappy football was brilliant on Sunday I yeah Really? Some, of the, some of that brilliant football between Ozil, Ramsey um, Sanchez. Uh, and Sanchez yeah. the football was awesome brilliant loved it we'll come to next season in a minute there's lots more tweets about what, who we're going to buy and what we're going to do we'll talk about it in a minute but let's move our attention gentlemen onto the FA Cup final um, that is looming large the kind of pinnacle to the season let's start that semi-final um, what's the result ever in doubt Kevin, let's go to that first. Uh, only, only at one point. Uh, there was the 2v1 break uh, around about 80 minutes when Reading had their chance. And if they'd taken that, yes, I think they'd have won it. Um, we'd certainly we'd have struggled to get an equaliser because they would have just put everyone in their own box. Um, so most of the time, no. And once we got to 90 minutes and extra time, I thought we should be all right now. I thought legs-wise, we should have enough to score a goal and avoid the Wigan penalty zone scenario. So there was a moment of doubt, but that was it. I think there was a lot of doubt, to be honest, because if we hadn't scored by a fortuitous goal, which Chelsea have had a few of just like me, we have to say. I keep saying we have to say, don't I have to stop that? Um, <laughs> But yeah, that, that, we haven't got that fortuitous goal. Which in, in, in yeah, we a, hit the post a couple we times, did. didn't we? We did. Yeah. But you know that that keeper, what's his name, Federici? Yeah. He could play another hundred games and he wouldn't do that again. It, if if we got halfway through the second half of extra time, they would have parked the basket, but everyone behind the ball and penalties would have loomed large. And to answer your question, if penalties had loomed large, that result would have been in doubt, big time. 
do you think, Dave, we're ever going to see a game at Wembley where Arsenal come out against supposed inferior opposition and play them off the park? Is it always going to be tense and nervous? Well, actually, let's come on to the final. What FA Cup final will we actually see? Will we see free-flowing, scintillating Arsenal at their pomp? Or will we see another nervy match that's one all with five minutes to go with penalties looming large? Latter over the former, I think. Because Why? Well, a cup final. You know, you get those games uh, you play in the league after about 34, 35 games a year. You're playing against Burnley at home, and everyone says, oh, it's like their cup final. They'll throw everything at you. That's the nature of the cup final. It's a one off game. You know, it, you might as well throw everything at the opposition because you get them, you scramble those three goals. You know, I mean, that's all you need. Then you park the bus. That'd be fine. You know, here, here for one day only. Okay, you've got extra time penalties on the same day rather than having a, a 1993 replay as we had with Sheffield Wednesday. But no, it's they're going to throw everything at you. This is why we're a little bit cautious. It could just be the players shit themselves. It could be the Wenger's sheer silence uh, as he normally does going into a game, plays against him. I don't know. But I mean, whether we like it or not. Although he's an Arsenal supporter, he has got his Spurs link, Tim Sherwood. He's going to unleash uh, a very, very eager, uh, a very, very adventurous Aston Villa at us. The same Aston Villa that not Liverpool out. So it's going to be an interesting final, and an early goal for us would be very nice. Be nice not to concede one for sure. Yeah. Would, would you, you play? Would Dave. you play Ospina or Chesney? I'm, on, I'm hosting I shouldn't comment but in a David Udo type style I will uh, when he used to host his pod I <laughs> yeah. would say I would go for Ospina hands down so would Chesney I. was a total liability at the moment yeah I would too I'd go for Ospina but he won't though will he Chesney will go who's to say that Chesney might not have saved one of those whole goals, goals last year he played Flamini as a farewell present we're not in the habit of, of giving players farewell presents and FA Cup finals. So play your best team, Arsene. None of this playing your, you know, give, giving someone a favour for the final. No. Do you think we'll win it, Steve? Yeah, I think we'll win it. I think yeah. We'll win it, yeah. We, we, we're, due, we're due to win a game comfortably at Wembley in 90 minutes without too much grief. We've already beaten Villa 8 0 this year. I know that was with a different manager, and they will be fired up. But if it was Chelsea playing Villa, there would be no doubt Chelsea would win. No doubt whatsoever. Villa wouldn't have a sniff. And if we like to think we're as good as Chelsea, we have to go there and think, we're going to win this. Villa haven't got a chance. It's Arsenal's Cup. And we've got better players in virtually every position. And we just have to let those players come. Let, them, let their talent shine through. I think, I could be wrong here, but if you discount the Charity Shield, the last time we won a game at Wembley in 90 minutes was the Southampton FA Cup final. Absolutely. And that, that was in the Millennium. Curly, curly. Oh, was it? Yeah. yeah. So you go back to Newcastle yeah. in 98. Newcastle 98. 1998. 1998. Yeah. 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 So nearly 20 years. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's about time we did it. It's about time we did it. Was, it. it was closer about seven of those years. Yeah. <laughs> it's about time we did it. You know? Kevin, are you expecting a good FA Cup final? And are you excited by it again? Yes. Are we the second year on the oh, trial? Well, I got the tickets this morning, so <laughs> I was queuing up. Kev's idea of excitement is getting an extra sandwich out at the Emirates. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to eat, in all yeah. fairness. I don't have time before the game. Do the um, Emirates allow you to bring your own sandwich in? They let you I, it, it is big BS here. I, I've got a packet of crisps <laughs> as it goes. Do they let you bring your own crisps in? Yes. I thought those bands would be running through stuff. No, no, you can bring, as long as you can't throw them at the players, uh, it's all right. What type of Christian bike, Kev? Uh, cheese and onion. Walkers? 
or um, own or own brand. Uh, I have walkers. Uh, anyway, I digress. <laughs> Slightly. Let's go to the battering hand. <laughs> <laughs> cut final. Far more interesting for others. Isn't yeah. It? Are you excited by it? Yes, I am. I think it's actually going to be a classic cup final. Just a feeling, and right. I think it's going to be a seesaw cup final as well. I think we will see an early goal. I think the lead will change at least once, possibly twice. We don't normally do this on this podcast, but predictions. Right, Kevin. in that case, I will say 3 2 to Arsenal. Stephen? Uh, I'm going to sit my neck out and go 2 0. What, to Arsenal? Yep, to Arsenal. David, DavidUdo.com. Um, I'm worried this might be a repeat of the last time we played um, uh, a club from Birmingham in the Cup final at Wembley, and we should win. We're better than them, of course we are. But there's going to be some kind of clangor yeah, with about two minutes to go and then lose 2-1. I hope that I'm wrong. I really do. Flipping I've just got a bad go. feeling. Right. Oh, no. I've got a bad feeling. About, well, you know, the, the Star Wars trailer came out, so I've got Star Wars in my mind. You know, I've got a bad feeling about this. But the good news is, we're not wearing that blue debacle of a kit, which is... Who I don't know, that? I thought that was the cup kit. Because, Dave, who knows? But I think a lot of the club, to me, have listened to the fans. I was looking forward to seeing this in that. Probably yeah, because of the darkness of Villa's tops. Yeah. Oh guys, let's face it, because of humour, they've not sold enough yellow shirts, they need to get that advertised for changes to another level. Arsenal are wearing yellow and blue in the final. And um, before we get on to the nitty gritty of next season, let's have a bit of reminiscence. I mean, the obvious kind of um, Charlie George esting aside, what are your memories after wearing yellow and blue in cup finals? Kevin, start with you. Well, I'm actually going to go back to 71 because I was so young that it didn't mean very much to me, but I have a vivid memory of just seeing the trophy being lifted after the game. And by these, I wouldn't call them yellow, but the shirts to, to my eyes were golden. <laughs> and when I saw still photographs of it in my son's soccer stamp annual the following season, it, it would just seem like ethereal and, and wonderful. The sun was shining, it was just almost otherworldly. And uh, for that reason, I always love it when Arsenal played yellow and blue at Wembley. And uh, obviously, we've done it a few times since. We've lost, we've won. Uh, mixed bag, frankly, but. Uh, I do like us wearing that kit, so I'm, I'm pleased about that. I'm not sure, Kevin. Right, my, sure, my abiding memory of yellow yes, is seeing us lose switch to yeah, West Ham yeah. at Wembley, you know, almost in consecutive years, one year in between yeah. the Man United win, which was great. Obviously, we wore yellow that day, fantastic. The Ipswich game stands out in my mind, very similar to this year. Was you there, Steve? I was there. I've been to every cup final since '69. Uh, I was there. Uh, the Ipswich game, we went into that match in similar form we're in now, just beating everyone, knocking everyone aside. I think we went into that game of, unbeaten in 15 matches or something, and we won a lot of those games by a big score. We thought we were just going to turn up in our yellow and blue kits and beat the tractor boys, and didn't quite work out like that. We were knackered against West Ham in 1980, because we played the semi-final against Liverpool the previous Tuesday, and it was the fourth semi-final we had to play. We'd have to travel to Villa Park and Hillsborough to play those games. And then Coventry, finally. We turned up dead on our feet and West Ham exploited it. And then we went to uh, the High Cell in Brussels the following Wednesday and lost to Valencia on penalties. So my memories of yellow and blue, apart from Man United, are not really good. And Liverpool, obviously, in 71. Very good, Steve. Yeah. Anecdotes there. Yeah. That's what yeah. I like in this pod. Brilliant. Yeah. David, does it bother you what... 
colour kit we have in the final? No, well, the first year I watched Arsenal was uh, when I was seven years old, 88, 89, and obviously we did quite well in the yellow and blue kit that year. That was in the league, I know. What was the cup final, was it? My question specifically stated cup final. Let me finish my answer, you get that. I said, however, that's why, that's why, that's why I love yellow shirts. However, the two finals that come to my mind are 1950, Reg Lewis, two goals against Liverpool. Um, was you there? <laughs> I'm not that, but I am that. Do boy. you know what? I nearly was. <laughs> it was actually. It was a special birthday. Technically, that was a oh, gold. Technically, that was a gold kit rather than a yellow kit. But winning two 0 against Liverpool Wembley in 1950, one of our first FA Cup wins. Um, that was a hell of an effort. And 1979, the year before I was born, um, my brother tells me of. Um, uh, McElroy, McElroy, still McElroy, scores the equaliser, which leads my dad to throw his car keys at the television and storm out the house. And by the time he gets to Labrooks down the road, we've already won the cup and Alan Sunderland scored the winner. My brother's most fond memory of when he was growing up watching the team. So yeah, both both of those finals make me smile for different reasons. And remember the 2003 final. I know for the football you might not, but we were in yellow. No, Southampton in yellow, weren't they? Yeah, they were. Southampton in gold with blue shorts. Oh, God. I think he's right, you know. Has anyone realised that when we play at Wembley, we don't wear hoop socks? A little small thing. This year we want the hoop socks for both yellow and the home kit. Yeah. Yellow and blue for the away, red and white for home. Last year we didn't wear hoops, not much that was part of the kit anyway, but this year, on our three Wembley appearances, which was the Charity Shield, this one, and possibly the final, are we not going to wear hoop socks? This is why people listen to this podcast, Dave. Yeah. That is the hot topic. Yeah. If everyone knows the answer, email yeah. us. There's a comment section yeah. below this on the um, Google and I'll go even website. Go on, when Dave. we wear our home kit, this is my away from up. home, yeah. like at Stamford Bridge, and um, like we did recently somewhere, we wore red and white very recently away from home. Come to me in a minute. Newcastle. Newcastle. We didn't wear hoop socks there either. This is why they're bringing back the, the um, X-Files to answer these types of questions. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Has someone got a problem, a problem with wearing hoop socks away from home? Steve, I do not know. My word. You know, that's put the, the cat. What do you reckon the next year's home kit? That's put the cat amongst the pigeons. Have we seen that? Yeah. yeah, yeah some, well, some pictures have been leaked. It's got a buttered, uh, buttoned collar. It's a bit, it's like, a bit, it's a bit like Burnley's shirt is this year. Yeah, a bit like Very similar to Burnley's. that and our 91 shirt. Do you remember when we had that white... That white circular collar overlapping there yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. if you're listening to this um, obviously google Arsenal new shirt now and have a look so you've got some visual representation at home but look cup final great we're going to win it apart from if you're David Udo we're going to lose 2-1 let's see who's correct hopefully not you David let's move on to planning for next season so let's say we win the cup let's say we come second great brilliant but that's not winning the league is it and um, NASA Ali by email, not Twitter, he's gone by uh, in regard to Twitter, an old fashioned method. Who would have thought email was old fashioned two years ago, not me. Anyway, he says, What does the panel think of Thierry Henry's comment that Arsenal must sign four top quality players to win the title? Stephen. Right. Stephen Stephen's itching to answer this. I must answer this because I mentioned it in my last column. Go on, Stephen. I saw Thierry Omri on the World Cup panel last year for the BBC and I thought he, I thought he was awful. I, I couldn't put two words together. Talk about passing the baton to the next commentator next to him. He couldn't wait to just pass the question on to someone else. I was amazed when Sky signed him and I think he's been dull, boring and irrelevant since they have. And he made those comments on Sunday to make a name for himself and to cover up for a and a, a mountain of inadequacies as a pundit. 
great footballer, sad pundit, I'm afraid. Thierry, you were wrong. And that was a brilliant impression yeah. of uh, Brendan Rodgers, where you asked one question and just talked that throughout about yeah. something else. Yeah. What did you make of his comments? Were they right? The comments were wrong. Okay. We don't need four players. How about you we don't? No. We've got Gabriel as a centre-half, obviously. Chambers is coming good. In his best well, position. I to to Steve, I sat next to you in the Community yeah. Shield, yeah. and you said to me, it was Chambers' de- de- debut per- performance. Yeah. Yeah. Your comment was, he's a new Bobby Moore. What? Do you still hold I still hold that, yeah. I mean, he only played centre half about three times because he got injured as well. We had to have Montreal there. I think Chambers is only twenty now. Um, if, if I think centre half is his best position, he reads the game well. He's got pace. He can tackle. Um, I don't think he's too good as a right back, but as a centre half, I think mean, he's got a future. Gabriel's got a great future because he only isn't going anywhere. We don't need a centre half. Coquelin, we might need a little bit of supplementing. We possibly need a better striker than Giroud in the big matches but I'd be quite happy to see our speeder in goal again next year so you think we need a new keeper possibly if Chesney goes we need a new number two or someone to you know vying with our speeder for number one but I mean, since our speeder's been in the team we've already lost in fact we've only drawn once you're potentially looking at players like Arteta Flamini Riziki even Walcott potentially, yeah. Chesney, all leaving the um, team. Don't yeah. forget the army. So, indeed, the army. How can I forget the army? What reinforcements do well, we need? Well, up a lot of wages to sign new players. A lot of wages. I go for Wayne Yammer or Snyderlin, or Snyderlin, or whatever he is. I go for him. I'd like to. I'd like to go for a real quality striker. That Dybala tickles my fancy a bit. You can't say that. <laughs> you can't say that. You can say Steve, so whatever yeah, you like. Yeah. Um, how many players do we need, Kevin, to have a real proper sustained hold? Well, I mean, it, it depends how many go, but I mean, the bottom line is you should never pass up the opportunity to improve your squad. So, I mean, it depends how many leave, but certainly what we've got at the moment isn't good, it's good enough in terms of depth to win the title. So, for example, OK, Coquelin can be one of two players in that position who's good enough to win the title, but you need another. Now, if you can get better than Coquelin, well, hey, so let's go for Sammy Kadira, as far as I'm concerned. I actually went to an Arsenal Supporters Trust meeting last night, which was uh, addressed by a French journalist, um, I think his name is Julien Laurence, but uh, I don't watch enough BT Sport, but he does the French football on there. And he said he didn't think Schneiderlin was actually a top 14 player he didn't think he, he had good. the quality to actually make that transition um, so he was urging Saifadira and I think you you know we really do need to emphasise quality and make sure we've got two quality players in every position so we've got an excess of creative uh, attacking midfielders so let's settle on for the sake of arguments Ozil plus one uh, a creative deeper midfielder plus one so you've got four players there and two wide players you've got eight players you want in those positions we've probably got about 11 or 12 so you get shots of three or four of them and you bring in uh, quality to address the shortages elsewhere and one of those shortages could be centre back I mean we probably need a top draw centre back who's, who's going to rule the roost 
Because I mean, motorcycles getting old. Uh, because motorcycles getting old. Because I don't trust Koscielny to be that dominant centre half. Gabriel's good, but I just think we need a figure, a Tony Adams or a Sol Campbell, someone of that level in there playing most of the games and leading the defence. I, I, I know we've improved, and that's partly down to Coquelin's presence rather than necessarily anything the back four have been doing. But uh, I don't see anything wrong with passing up the opportunity to improve, and I give you these two options. You've got two keepers, Czech and Ospina, Spina and Chesney. Between those selections, which pairing are going to win you the title? I don't think it's the one with Chesney in it. David, you're a goalkeeper. Mm. Um, I like that keeping. Are the current pairing of Spina and Chesney good enough? Nope. Yeah. Well, league. No, if you put them on the market tomorrow, you wouldn't have uh, Milan with the Barcelona coming in for them at all. You, you know, if you struggled to give them away to Newcastle and a spot deal for cruel and £20 million, pounds, to be honest. Um, no, <laughs> One crawl, I take him in a heartbeat over over the light, over Chesney. I mean, if we can find a buyer, Chesney will go in the summer. Espina is the best five foot seven inch goalkeeper I've seen, apart from Shea Given. Um, but the fact of the matter is, Peter Cech has already said that he's leaving Chelsea this summer. Uh, Chelsea haven't denied it, and let's face it, Mourinho would uh, if he had half a chance of saying so. So he's available. Um, us being us, we'll wait until September the first, and then probably have to do a swap deal or take him. Actually, we'll end up taking him on a year-long loan with a view to a permanent deal, so that he can't play against Chelsea in any games next season. Wouldn't be surprised if it happens like that. The yeah, checks available we'll attack in a heartbeat. Chesney is simply not good enough, and we got rid of the wrong Polish goalkeeper. How many players, David, do we need to sign? Difference between need and what we're going to do. We need. To, I, I, I agree with everything that Kevin Stevens said. We do need a. Um, a proper centre forward, uh, well, another centre forward. I mean, after the embarrassing fudge up we had with uh, Gonzalo Higuain two summers ago, I mean, that proved we needed a world class centre forward, and um, you know, we had to rely on Giroud too much that year. We've brought in Danny Welbeck, and he's done so well up front. We've played him on the right wing since Giroud came back fitness, so as far as Wenger's concerned, he's not a first choice centre forward. But he'll persevere with him as a first choice substitute. We've still got Sonogo to come back from Crystal Palace. And Please, God. Well, we can't I'll be able to find a buyer to get rid of, uh, to get rid of him too, so he's going he's gonna to carry on playing. Arsenal will not want to kill <coughs> Sonogo's career, and that's what is holding this club back. Well, well what about that great card at number 14 up front, Theo Walcott? Adam Haydock asks, what is up with Theo? Why can't he get back in well, the starting team? Wilshire, isn't it? See, Wilshire's been fit for a month. He hasn't had one minute of playing time. Theo's been fit for two months, maybe even three months. You can count the number of minutes he's had on two hands. Um, i got a very strong feeling that Wenger's going to replace both of those in the summer. You can get probably 20 million for both players, 40 million in the bank, add it to the 40, 50, 60 he's already got. You could possibly go out and get that Dybala and another world-class player. Um, it wouldn't affect the numbers too much. We would just be improving the quality. The only thing we need to be conscious of is I think we need eight players that are developed in this country from 16 years old. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons that, ironically, Manchester City will probably try and get Wilshire in uh, this window because they're going to lose Milner. They, they're a bit close to the edge on that, getting their eight players. Um, I think we're okay at the moment, but it's something that's always got to be in the background. It's partly, I assume, the reason some of our chambers have bought because you've got to think of these quotas now. So I think it's eight of your, I think, 25 squad need to be uh, home developed.
that's mm. even if they're foreign that you get them here at a young age. Would we wish Wilshire's quality if we sold it? I think as far as Wenger's concerned, this is part of the reason why you got Dan Crowley in from Aston Villa a couple of years ago. He yeah. develops as a 15-year-old, hopefully will and should, with Shad Forsyth looking over him, yeah. and uh, he'll have the same build as Wilshire, but without A, the dodgy ankles, or B, the arrogant attitude, then you know we can let our number 10 go and replace him with a better and proper number 10. Yeah. But, How was that Dan Crowley then? I, I wouldn't know, but um, <coughs> uh, he's, he's had a lot of good write-ups on, um, was it, Young Guns, uh, yeah. Young Guns blog, I've seen a couple of those, uh, and that guy does does watch the uh, the under well, yeah. and the youth team, whatever they're called, so there's an element of promise there. They've had terrible seasons, haven't they, those, those, those teams? Uh, it's not about results, though, is it? It's about quality and spirit, such is my understanding. But if we're yeah. offered £30 million from midfielder that Wenger's decided long-term there's no future here, I wouldn't be surprised if Wilshire goes, and I don't think there'll be any tears amongst the fan base. I think a lot of it with these players, and I'm including Chesney in this, so Chesney, Walcott, Wilshire, is for different reasons. Wenger's got pissed off with them, and basically he's decided he can do better without them. So Wilshire, for example, is presumably for the instance like nightclubbing, you know, uh, lifestyle. Um, Leaving his wife. Well, I don't know about Your that, friend, but uh, I'm not sure what the attitude of Wilshire is at the club. Um, Wenger will obviously praise him to the skies verbally to the media, but in reality, behind the scenes, he hasn't had a minute since he got back. Let's face it, Theo, I think, is pissed off about the last contract negotiations, and now he is wearing the trousers and saying, OK, you, you played that game last time, now my turn. Chesney, again, I think, just think too many breaches of discipline, and he's... I think he's had enough. What will be very telling is if in the FA Cup final, Chesney does not start. That would be an indication to me that Chesney is on the way in the summer. I've seen that um, uh, teammates thing on Soccer AM that uh, a few of our players have done. Arteta did one, Ramsey did one and Cazorla did one. And uh, the question, who's the dimmest person in the dressing room? And all three of them said Chesney. Wow. So if the man's that stupid and he started smoking when he has a bad game and after conceding goals in that game, uses his drinking bottle like a dummy, it does suggest that your now mature 24-year-old goalkeeper is not a grown-up after all. That, that game against Southampton, I mean, the smoking aside and the change room, I mean, that's probably reason enough to drop it. But I think if he was a top-class keeper and he was, in, you know, in, in, in kind of like in, implicit in mm. keeping goals out for us... You know he's not even the first-choice reserve of the Polish national team. No. Tinon or Titat, whatever his name is from PSV or final. Titat. 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 Can't be a bit of Titat. And Artem Artemburich is coming up the ball next year. Time is chuffing on. I was just going to say one quick thing about Chesney. Smoking aside, he should have never played for Arsenal again because of those two errors in that match against Southampton. The second one was criminal. It was pretty appalling. Last tweet, and this comes from our hosts at Pybury Corner, and I thought this was very interesting. And he says, we think fans' Category A tickets should be capped at £30. What's the pod's views on this? Ticket prices in media a lot recently. West Ham lowering their prices to their yeah. next stadium. Yeah. Um, the Liverpool fans and Arsenal fans coming yeah. together to kind of go against low prices. With this multi-billion pound Sky, Sky deal, it's, it's expanding on question. Yeah. What's your view on My ticket view prices came and on capping? Is it I think it's, it's not going to happen. It's a wonderful idea. It should happen. There's no doubt that the clubs can afford to have a ceiling on prices. And if they did, it would allow uh, a different type of audience to attend matches and almost definitely enhance the atmosphere. Because the more vocal 
type of supporter um, has effectively been priced out. By that I mean young and uh, expressive. You know, they, there are still some young fans there, but most of them spend the majority of their game on, on their smartphones. Or um, filming it on their iPads. Or, yeah. or, I mean, there was there were people in the stadium with selfie sticks at <laughs> yeah, the Chelsea yeah. game, and they weren't well, stopped by stewards. So, yes, it's a wonderful idea. Are the clubs willingly going to take a drop in income? Only if they're forced to. And I think the only way that um, it's going to happen is either a West Ham situation where they have to fill their seats and make it look good for PR so they've got to drop their prices to make sure their stadium is full or the Premier League being pressured and making a rule against with all clubs to say this is the limit um, and I know that there are fans organisations working for that so um, I get the feeling that something is possible but £30 is la la land, that is not going to happen. Even for away fans, which are kind of small in number? There might be a, a policy there to actually cap the price of the away tickets. I don't, I don't agree with that though. Why is that because if they're in a similar seat to us, right? all those people that want to see Arsenal lose are in the corner, I'm paying £60, £70, £80 for my seat, why should the away fan get his for 30 when we go to his ground, right? No, but it would, be, it would be universal. Say yeah. every, every club would have to do the same. Yeah, well, that's For the away fans. That's the point. It basically, <laughs> it makes travelling to games, because the thing is, you've got the inconvenience of the travel, you've got the time taken to travel, and you've got the importance of away fans to an atmosphere. Yeah, I suppose there is that. Then, basically, there's an argument that they should be subsidised, yeah. and it applies all the way well, around. I'll yeah. charge them 60 quid and stick them in the well, other the, the problem for Arsenal fans is that every time they do go away, they pay a grade A price, because yeah. Arsenal treated as grade A opposition. Yeah. Whereas if you're a whole fan, yeah. you're not paying so much. No, exactly. So, so actually, that's across the bed. Yeah, but surely though, Steve, a cut will benefit everyone there, right? If we're spending power for away fans across the board... Yeah. You know what? I'd rather beer was capped instead. £4.50 a pint. I think that view is a bit too communist for you, Steve, but it isn't having a £30 pound I think they should keep two years three quid, stick the away fans <laughs> in the upper tier so no one can see them. Because that's, that's not very good, being able to see the away fans on TV for us, I don't think. It'd be the like nice Newcastle, they're hidden. It'd they? be the nice and fair thing to do, but sadly, the position of the Premier League in the 21st century was summed up perfectly by Gazidis himself at the AGM um, at the start of this season, which is 21st century top-level football is supply and demand. And it's like that. If you don't want to renew your season ticket for £1,500, they'll be very, very sorry to hear that you won't be able to renew that. But they've got a waiting list of 12,000 people. Next, I remember when we played Wigan in their last year, their last year in the Premier League. About three weeks beforehand, the game was moved to a Monday night. And Wigan have got a very, very small um, fan base anyway. Um, so if that game's moved from Saturday to a Monday, the amount of tickets they were selling reduced so much. They had the smallest away section you can imagine. Just one block of about 500 seats in total. Did Arsenal care? No, because they put those seats on the general market to Arsenal fans or sporting tourists, and they sold out overnight. Supply and demand. Uh, David, I just have to add to that, West Ham. Supply and demand totally. They're moving into the Olympic Stadium. They've got 54,000 seats to fill. They know if they charge the same prices as us, they'll get 10,000 every week, if that. So they're giving those tickets away for 99 quid, 200 quid, because it's the only way they can fill it. If, sa if the same applied to Arsenal, we would be charging 200 quid. But Arsenal's the most popular team in the world on Twitter, and probably all the other websites as well. 
So we can afford to charge those prices. And it, as David says, it is supply and demand. It is, but does it make it right? We can debate this until the cows come home. But the cows have come home, and yeah. we've eaten them in our pies, and it's time to say goodbye. Um, I, but could go but, forever, yeah. I know, Steve, but we had 50 minutes. Will you believe oh, it? God. We have. We'll be for news at 10. And I've, I've, I've not got through all the tweets and the emails that have come in. Mention so the guys. Thank that, you uh, very much yeah. to Johnny Houseman, Pete Mountford, um, Dougie Cazorla. Um, there's loads of you. And, uh, Where it's relevant, we will hold them over until next week. Yes, month. but thank you all very much for your comments. It's what makes this podcast the best article podcast, if I do say so myself. Thank you. But before we go, before we go, I'm going to hand you over to our editor, Kevin Witcher, and he's going to plug the current issue of The Gooner, which is a fantastic read. Over to you, Kevin. Yeah, the current issue is the 250th, uh, a celebratory one, and uh, it's uh, got a lot of reminiscence in of uh, The Gooner itself, um, including a fantastic uh, section in the middle with some of our best front and back covers. There's uh, a long interview, part one of an interview with Alan Smudger-Smith, and uh, it's on sale at the um, Swansea game and then before our next podcast we're going to have issue 251 that is a cup final special and I think it's going to have extra pages in so it might be £3 but it'll be on sale at the Sunderland and West Brom games and Kev what everyone wants to know is will that feature the article about the history of this podcast by Mark Honington that will be in issue 251. The reason it wasn't in our celebratory 250th edition was because it was so damn long. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I, got, oh. I got carried away. Um, what is this right about a podcast? Steve, it's a, it's a history. I, I There's a few anecdotes in yeah. there. Yeah, Steve, oh, seriously. Did you have to listen to every one before you wrote the article? No. He's got well, a memory. Unlike I've got most of them. Anyway, yeah, anyway <laughs> once again, we're going off topic. Thank you once again to our fantastic hosts, Pyrie Corner. Superb as always, and what a lovely meal we had. Beautiful pies. It was wonderful good. pies. Beautiful. Wonderful pies. I had the ox, and I'll score as a result. Try the, try the steak in Guinness out as well. Yeah, that's, that's the much. only time I'd recommend a theatre Walcott. <laughs> Controversial listeners. Um, you can contact us at Twitter at Guna Podcast, email a good podcast at gmail.com, Snapchat davidudo.com. <laughs> um, goodbye to our panelists. Yeah, my typewriter got an email address. I don't know, Steve, you tell me. Okay. Well, goodbye, everyone. <laughs> and um, the next podcast is after the FA Cup final um, in early June. So listen out for that one. Hopefully it will be a podcast of celebration and joyous occasion Early rather June. than a downbeat moribund affair. Okay. Yes. All so right. not too far away, Steve. No. It's a mere five, six weeks away. Oh, yeah. We're almost in May, Time Steve. Flies. Spring is blooming. Blimey, I'll be one soon. The birds are singing and life is um, flourishing. Anyway, that's it, for, that's it, everyone. Thank you for listening and see you next time. La-di-da-di-da, la-di-da-di-dee. All good friends and joining a company. Way!